This is the woman behind the business, featuring honest dialogue that advances and inspires women entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Angel Livis. This week on The Woman Behind the Business, women creating history. Stand up. You know me, I'm your host, Angel Livis, and today we're celebrating and recognizing women who are taking strides to not only be impactful, but those who desire to create a legacy for their families and their communities. Our first guest is the CEO of Mickle Public Affairs Agency, or MPI, an elite full-service boutique public affairs firm in Washington, D.C., Prior to launching her private sector business, MPA, she served as general counsel to U.S. Senator Bill Nelson of Florida, where she covered a broad spectrum of economic matters relating to banking, insurance, small business, housing, and real estate. In addition to these dynamic accolades, she's penned her first book, Follow the Leader, a guide to empower women to get involved in the political process. She is my soror, an illustrious lady of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, a Woodrow Wilson Fellow, and the former director of the National Bar Association Political Action Committee. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me, Angel. (laughs) So happy to be here. Yeah, so we're going to have some fun. I'm super excited. Now, First, allow me to give you a round of applause for being a visionary and realizing that a book like Follow the Leader was necessary. Um, It came out in 2018. Mm -hmm. And um, as most of us know, if we fast forward to today, 127 women hold seats in the United States Congress, making 2019 the year that more women than ever before hold congressional seats. So, Stephanie, tell us why this is a huge milestone. This is so significant for so many reasons. Um, There are 535 seats in the United States Congress. That's 100 in the Senate and 435 in the House. So to have 100, over 100 uh, in the House of Representatives is a watershed moment. This is going to impact so many areas of the Congress. Let me give you some very practical examples. For anyone who's never visited the United States Congress and gone to the office buildings to meet with their representatives or go to watch a hearing, the ladies' bathrooms are typically tucked away somewhere because they, when those buildings were built, they were there were not a lot of women that worked in Congress. I mean, occasionally you might have a staff person or a janitorial person. There certainly weren't any women representatives. So simple things like find increasing access to the ladies room, (laughs) which is, you know, gosh, we're joking about this in 2019, but it's, it's pretty important because, you know, exactly. (laughs) Ladies need to check their makeup too. So, so there's that. Then there's also policy issues, really important policy issues like equal pay for women, um, maternity leave and family leave policies, policies that affect healthcare, like Obamacare, mammograms and things like that, pre-existing conditions, other considerations, women serving in the military, and on and on and on and on and on. One of the things that's super important as to why women need to be a part of these conversations is, is so that they expand the conversations, that they're more comprehensive in terms of thinking about how policy issues that are debated on a daily basis affect both men and women. Our country's 50% women. So not having women in those conversations historically has resulted in policy outcomes that are not as beneficial to women as they could be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm hopeful 
with the Congress. And we also have a woman speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, who's been speaker before, but she's very strong, very powerful. And I'm hopeful that with these additional voices, we've seen, we just learned that background checks um, for gun owners mm-hmm. is was passed. And that was at the insistence of a woman who was just elected, Lucy McBath. I wrote about her in my book. Uh, she lost a son to gun violence in, mm-hmm. in my home state of Florida, in Jacksonville, Florida, because someone fired into a van over loud music. So there's so many reasons why women need to be in the Congress, need to be in, in elected office, need to have more of a voice in politics and you know, we're hopefully going to start to see the real benefits of, of those women being there. So I recently saw this um, cartoon, um, like a comic little strip, and it was a picture of um, like a, a panel, an all-male panel, and they were interviewing this woman, right? Mm-hmm. And the woman was sitting there. And then the word said, you know, coming from one of the men, so why do you think we need you? Mm-hmm. So what would your response be to why are women so valuable um, in the boardroom, having that seat at the table, in addition to being in Congress? I know you spoke to, you know, the examples of like a mother, you know, saying, hey, we need to turn the uh turn the tides on this particular law, but outside of just, I guess, that area, like why else is it important to have a seat at the table? Lots of reasons. Um, (laughs) And my first thought when you described this cartoon was, why is it that these men don't think women need to be there? Right. Right. So so it's, it's a reverse question because women problem solve differently. Right. We're, you know, God gave us different types of gifts. Men are very good at being very focused, very targeted on one outcome, and then they go to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And that's very effective in certain areas. Um, our leadership requires you to be able to deal with different types of people. Mm-hmm. Um, governance, especially when you're responsible for governing people from all different walks of life, requires you to be very creative in terms of how you uh, resolve things. Mm-hmm. And I think women naturally tend to be more creative because they have to be, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they have to figure out how to run a household, take care of their families, manage their careers, do a lot, you know, manage their finances, do a lot of different things all at once. Mm-hmm. Not saying that men don't have to, but women, women are typically more the multitaskers, inc- right? Typically <laughs> more, more multitaskers. And so, so, so I think that's another reason. Um, and then I'll say this, I think, the strengths that women have in terms of how we communicate, sometimes that's not to say we can't communicate in other ways. And I don't want people jumping on me for what I'm getting ready to say. But I think sometimes when women are communicating from their most feminine place, um, and I'm getting ready to get very deep here. So let me just pull, not do that just yet. Um, when they're communicating from their most feminine place, it is it connects with men in a different way than if they're just being you know, only communicating one way. And I'm saying that as someone who reached the highest levels of power in a very male-dominated space. You mentioned in my background, I was general counsel to a United States senator. I practiced law at a big law firm for a number of years. Over 500 Right, over 500 lawyer law firm, and then came to Congress, Mm -hmm. then, you know, rose to the ranks of general counsel to a senator. Many times I was the only woman in the room, Mm -hmm. certainly the only woman of color in the room. And... um. Because I 
was able to do that, that meant I learned how to navigate working in male-dominated environments pretty quickly and pretty successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are certain skill sets that you need to be able to do both. But I will tell you that when uh, when you can use all of your strengths, not mm-hmm. just one set or the other, you just tend to be more effective. At least I do. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I've seen a lot of women who are successful um, because they've learned to do both. Now, you mentioned that there are a number of skill sets you, that you need to be able to yes. implement and use. Yes. What are some of those skill sets? Organization. That's number one. You have to be organized. You have to get up every day with a plan for what you want to get done that day. And even if you don't get done everything on your list that day, at least you have that organization. Um, prioritization, knowing how to prioritize what is most important, what's the most important to your um, your clients, your constituents, your customers, whomever it is that you have to be accountable to. Mm-hmm. In addition to yourself, understanding those priorities, those priorities and getting those done. Flexibility. Flexibility is huge because a lot of times things get thrown at us in a day. I'll give you a perfect example. When I worked on the Hill, I would have a, a list every day of what I planned to do. But I also got up and read the Washington Post before I went to work because I knew that if something was happening on the world stage, that meant my day was getting ready to not be what I planned, but what was happening outside of me. Right. What was required, uh, what required my top attention. Mm -hmm. Um, And even when there wasn't anything per se in the paper, there could be something going on uh, internally Mm -hmm. that I needed to address. And so having that flexibility and a flexible mindset is super important. Attitude, hugely important. Um, because your attitude really does affect how you interact with other people. Um, and that's, you know, having a good attitude, having a positive mindset, um, not letting things get the best of you or get you down. Um, it's, you know, fine. Everybody has a bad day, but don't don't make it a bad month. Right. Um, that's super, super important. And a sense of humor is hugely important. And then also being able to see the best in people, because that helps you to do team building. Um, and you, yes, you can be successful by yourself, but it's a lot better when you have, when you can work together with others. Right. Now, one of the things that I loved, and I think that this was very key, was um, attire. Your dad yes. talked about, you know, you seeing him dress professionally, you seeing the attorneys walking in mm-hmm. dress professionally. And I feel like one of the areas that, I don't understand what's happening. People think that they can, you know, walk into um, an interview Mm -hmm. in jeans and a Mm T-shirt or they think Mm -hmm. that, you know, what they wear is not a representation of who they are and people are not formulating opinions. So, you know, from seeing that as a child, what did you learn from watching men and women dress professionally? Oh, wow. So, you know, attire is fashion and attire and your presence is all part of what makes you you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, seeing professionals dress up and go to an office, I thought, wow, that's, you know, they take themselves seriously mm-hmm. and they take what they're about seriously. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was something that I always felt was important. Like you, I've hired a number of people in my career. I've certainly mentored a number of interns. And and I and I think it's super important. How you present yourself is super important. And I'll tell you something else. When I went from being an employee to being a business owner, I took it it, it took on another level for me mm-hmm. because I realized, wait a minute, I could be at Target mm-hmm. and run into a potential client. 
That doesn't mean I need to go to Target in a suit, but it means I need to present myself to the world in such a way that I could be considered a serious company that that someone wants to do business with, regardless of what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And no, that doesn't happen as much now. I think it's unfortunate because... You know, I feel like people are really missing out on an opportunity to look their best. Mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, for me, it's, you know, it's, okay, no, you don't, you probably don't have to, you don't have to if that's what, how you choose to show up in the world, but why not? Mm-hmm. What do you have to lose? And, 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 and here's the other thing. If you look at Congress, um, there is a, there is a, most companies, most businesses, most professions, there's a uniform. Like, you can't go work in a hospital and not, not wear scrubs. Mm-hmm. You can't just, you know, it's just, you look out of place. It's right. not, that's not a risk. You can't join the military and not wear a uniform. Mm-hmm. There's an expectation. And so, you know, I, I don't think people, you lose anything by embracing what it means to look a certain way or be a certain, dress a certain way. Um, because it does speak volumes about yourself before anybody ever meets you. Now, when you were general counsel for Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Representative Nelson, right? Senator. Senator Nelson, sorry. Um, What would you say was the greatest lesson that you learned in that position? Oh, wow. (laughs) Gosh. Uh, So since it's a women's show, I'll share something. uh, I'll share a story with uh, your listeners about... Um, something that the senator said to me very early on when I was staffing him. Uh, when I first started working for the senator, it was right at the beginning of the Obama administration. The economy, we were in the greatest recession of our time since the Great Depression. The economy was in complete freefall, and I cover economic issues. Mm-hmm. The senator was at a finance committee hearing, and I needed to give him an update on something. And I also needed to bring a meeting over to him. So here's what happens, just so that your listeners know. When a meeting is scheduled and the member isn't back from the floor or back from the committee, you mm-hmm. have to take the meeting to them. Mm-hmm. So I took a group of people over to the senator. And I waited patiently outside with the group, and the hearing is going on. The hearing wraps up. The senator comes outside. He meets with the group of people, and he says to me, after it's over and I take the group back, he says, Stephanie, why didn't you bring them inside to the hearing? Well, I was brand new. So I thought I was doing the polite thing, Mm -hmm. the appropriate staffer thing, by waiting patiently outside. And he said to me, he said, Stephanie, people don't know what you do for them if you don't tell them or if you don't show them. Mm-hmm. And one of the best ways for my constituents to know what I'm doing is if you bring them into the hearing mm-hmm. as opposed to having me come outside. It's great. I'll get to talk to because they would have gotten to talk to him anyway. Mm-hmm. They would just watch the end of the hearing and then come back outside and do this. I was new first time novice mistake. But at the same time, I never forgot his words because I said, you know what? As women, we're not taught necessarily all the time to make sure people know what we're doing in terms of our contributions in the workplace. Mm -hmm. We just assume if we do a good job, they will notice Mm -hmm. and then we'll get the credit for it. That's Mm -mm. not that's totally the opposite (laughs) of the way men are taught, by the way. Men are taught to brag about what they're doing, what they're not doing and what they want you to think they're doing. So it's a completely different socialization. (laughs) (laughs) It's completely different socialization. We're taught to be, you know, kind of. You know, let let it come to us and mm-hmm. let 
and, and not be, you know, but tuning your own horn, especially when you know um, that you've made a solid contribution, that you've made your client look good um, is, is, is definitely something that you want to do. Now, how did the government shutdown impact the birth of your firm? Oh, wow. So for your listeners, she's talking about the one in 2013, not yes, the one not that the just happened <laughs> uh, recently over the holidays. Um, so we had a government shutdown in 2013. And leading up to the shutdown, I was starting to feel a little bit of, I don't know what you call it, like I was ready for something new. And I wasn't sure what it was, but I knew I was ready for something new. So I was someone who worked um, 70, 80 hours a week. I carried two smartphones, a personal one and a work one. Um, I was on call on the weekends or at night. If something happened, I needed to be pretty quickly available and accessible. This is regardless of what else is going on in my own life. And so... When the government was getting ready to shut down, we were trying to negotiate some kind of agreement over certain provisions in Obamacare. We were told by our chief of staff that only essential personnel were going to be asked to come into work. Everybody else would be considered non-essential. That's when I learned I was non-essential. And it was kind of surprising to me because I sure felt essential. Exactly. Oh, wow. (laughs) It was only like three staffers that were considered essential. And they they outranked me. Um, It's like the chief of staff and the deputy chief of staff and like one other person who was like an emergency personnel type of person. Um, But then everybody else had to go home. And so... I on the on the day that the government actually shut down, our chief of staff called us all into the conference room. I'm so sorry, you guys. We're going to do our best to get this worked out quickly. Just you know, keep an eye on the news. So I had a meeting that afternoon with someone who was going to be doing some coaching with me, and she. What I was telling her was I was starting to think about starting my own business, but I just wasn't sure. And I had just walked out of a very serious meeting. And I was on my way home after meeting with her. Well, a week into the shutdown, I decided to go to Houston to visit my brother. Um, And I always told my brother that if I ever came to Houston, I wanted to go to Joel Osteen's church, go to Lakewood. That was like my dream because I'm a huge, huge fan of Joel Osteen. So I went to, uh, to Houston to visit my brother during the shutdown. I had some time and I decided, why not? You know, I'm not working right now. Um, and I went down, uh, went to the church, went down for prayer. And I told the person who was going to pray for me that I work for the government and asked him to pray for my job. He starts praying for my job. And in the midst of his prayer, he starts saying the word contracts. And, you know, I heard him say it one or two times, but after about the fourth time, I'm like, I guess he could kind of see the puzzlement on my face. And he apologized. He said, ma'am, I'm sorry. Um, the word that just keeps coming up to me is contracts. I know what you asked me to pray for, but contracts is what keeps asking you, what keeps coming to me. And so I said to him, so I went on back to my seat and I thought to myself, why do I need contracts if I'm going back to my good government job, my very good government job? Because, yes, I'd had a conversation with a coach about a business, but I wasn't really serious about it then. But by, but another week went by when the government finally reopened after two and a half weeks in 2013. I had sort of made up my mind that, OK, I'm going to go ahead and start my business. 
because it had been a dream of mine to start my business. It, but it took me about a year to really to leave my job, even after that happened. Not quite a year, maybe nine months. Um, and during that year, I saved up. I started getting you know, certain things in place. And that's how Mickle Public Affairs was born. That goes back to that flexibility you discussed That's such a great story. Now, my last question <laughs> for you, you for sharing. is, sure, um, sure. will actually lead and us into our next conversation. To, okay. um, a quote in your book, it's not even really But a when quote, you tell people to believe in yourself and, and craft your future, you what are you hoping okay. that they'll grasp and from those words? That God doesn't call I think most people, I think many people think they believe in themselves, but they have to put themselves in situations that test how true that is. Mm-hmm. Let me give you an example. How much do you believe in what you're trying to do? Like, say you're a baker. When people tell you they don't like the way something tastes that you made, do you say, oh, my goodness, maybe I'm not a baker? Or do you say, let me go back and tweak the recipe? Or do you say, that's your problem. You don't like the way <laughs> my brownie tastes. My brownie tastes. Somebody else likes the way my brownie tastes. And I'm going to keep making brownies because right. I know that's something I'm good at. And so that's what I mean about believing in yourself is that you, you'll get lots of opportunities to be challenged about, you know, what it is that, that the dream that's in your heart and what it is that you're trying to accomplish with your company. Um, but you really, really have to because you sometimes the people, you know, criticizing your brownies are your relatives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're supposed to like your brownies, right? But, you know, that doesn't always happen. And so it, that's definitely something that I would, um, you know, say in terms of believing in yourself. I learned to believe in myself. I've always had pretty high self-confidence mm-hmm. because, like, you yeah. know, my father. Mm-hmm. Um, but I learned to believe in myself in a whole different way when I started working for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely yeah. will push you to. Mm-hmm. Especially if you want other people to trust you to get the work done. If you don't believe it, you definitely can't convey to somebody else that you can actually get the job done. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie, for being with us. Thank you for having me. And you're going to stick around. You're not going anywhere. Um, But now it's time for our legal minute break. And when we return, you'll be introduced to the woman behind Levered Weeks. Stay with us. Welcome to the WBB Legal Minute featuring Nyasha West. She's the principal attorney at West Law Firm, where she specializes in business law and family law and bankruptcy. Today, we're going to have a quick conversation about the different ways to get your business established. Now, Nyasha, what are those different entities that you can choose from when it comes time to establish your business? The most popular Entities that most business owners um, choose to go with when forming their businesses are uh, sole proprietorship, LLCs, or a corporation. Um, And the entity that you choose depends on what the business is that you're getting into. If you're getting into a business where you'll have very low interaction with the public and therefore very low liability, um, then a sole proprietorship may be a good option for you. Um, If you're getting into any other business where you're going to be interacting with the public, um, selling them goods or services, then you would want to choose an LLC or a corporation. Um, And the reason is, is because um, with those entities, the business owner is personally protected. So your assets are personally protected. So if I have a business and my business is a store and somebody comes into my store and slips and falls, 
if I have an LLC or a corporation, the person who slipped and fell would sue the company and they wouldn't sue me. Mm -hmm. So what this means is that my house and my personal assets are protected and they would be limited to the assets of the of the, the company. company. Yes. Okay. Now, really quickly, what's the difference between an S corp and a corp? So an S-Corp is a corporation that doesn't have self-employment taxes, um, whereas a corporation has a whole host of other um, of other taxes that the um, business would have to pay. Um, the biggest problem, not problem, but with uh, C-Corporations, um, the business owner may be subjected to double taxation mm-hmm. um, on their dividends. With the S-Corp, um, they wouldn't be subjected to double taxation. Okay. All right. Wonderful. This was great. Thank you so much for sharing this legal minute with us. You're welcome. All right. To learn more, how do people get in contact with you? You can contact me at the West Law Firm. My website address is nawestlaw.com or my telephone number is 301-798-4100. All right. Awesome. Thank you. And stay tuned for the rest of The Woman Behind the Business. Welcome back to the Woman Behind the Business Talk Show. I'm your host, Angel Livis. And we just wrapped up a conversation with Ms. Stephanie Michael, CEO of Michael Public Affairs Agency. Now we're going to continue our conversation on crafting the life you want with our next guest, Mrs. Meredith Moore Crosby, president of Leverage Weeks, a family-owned career coaching, communications, and branding business out of St. Paul, Minnesota, and the author of Getting Unstuck, a guide to moving your career forward. For more than a decade, Meredith successfully supported senior leaders at McDonald's, 3M, and Comcast Cable. Earlier in her career, Meredith was tasked with supporting Mr. Don Thompson, the first African-American CEO of the McDonald's Corporation. For more than a decade, she also successfully supported senior leaders at 3M and Comcast. And in 2012, Meredith's story of becoming the youngest director in McDonald's history was featured in the national bestseller, Successful Women Think Differently. Welcome to the show, Meredith. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yes. Now, okay, let me give full disclosure. I'm totally excited that Meredith is here because we attended Howard University together. Yes, H-U. Yes, you know. Um, And we unfortunately lost contact, um, but I'm so proud to reunite under these circumstances to celebrate the phenomenal work that you've been doing all across the globe. So welcome to the show. Thank you. And congratulations to you, too. (laughs) Making Howard proud. Yes. That's what we do. Right. All right. Now, let's we have so much to cover. So let's just dive in. All right. Now, first, um, while we were at Howard, I can remember you telling me that you wanted to work for McDonald's. I don't remember if you remember this, but I remember looking at you like you were crazy. Like, really? Like, <laughs> McDonald's? Um, you're going to go to a four-year institution and go work at McDonald's. Okay. Um, but you quickly provided, like, this context of what you were saying. You were like, no, corporate McDonald's. Yeah. yeah. Um, how old were you, would you say, when you realized that that's what you wanted? You know, it's so interesting because my parents from the beginning told me to get a government job. That was always the thing, get a good government job. And uh, luckily, I did inroads Mm -hmm. and started getting exposure to corporate. And I was like, no, 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 I like this better. Mm -hmm. I like this better. This is more stable. They give you nice stuff. They (laughs) they treat you well. Uh, So I figured out pretty early that just my 
disposition, my work ethic and the way that I saw myself being treated at work made sense in a corporate environment. And I saw that in the internships I had, the power that you had being at a headquarters or in that like leadership suite. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to be in that space. Okay. Now you've had the opportunity to train and work with some phenomenal and very brilliant individuals. Mm -hmm. Um, Who left the most impact or impression on your life? Oof, that's a hard one. Uh, I would have to say it's really a tie. It's really a three-way tie. Can I have a three-way tie? I know. I know. I know. I'm so difficult. Uh, I mean, you I have just to don't say, want them to hear it and then be, you ain't <laughs> say their name. No, no, not at all. Okay, go ahead. No, I have to say my dad, mm-hmm. because my dad just always gave me very hard knock life advice. I mean, it was just very straight Real. to the point. Uh, and then when I got into corporate, uh, it was Pat Harris, who is a global chief diversity officer at McDonald's, mm-hmm. who is the one who uh, nobody got my name right. Right. I was just like that black girl. And she was the one who started trying to figure out my name and then she would correct other people. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that showed me as a woman of color what your responsibility is. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not just respect me. It's respect everybody in the room. Mm -hmm. And then my third has to be Don Thompson, because I saw him navigate through what were just insurmountable issues Mm -hmm. with grace and with faith and with confidence. And that's what taught me that, okay, you can do this and not sell your soul. You can do this and still be on purpose. Now we're going to start with your dad. Yeah. Um, So um, he's an episode in and of itself. Yes, I know. Like I remember your dad from school. Um, But one of the things that you highlight in your book, um, Getting Mm -hmm. Unstuck, is, you know, that he essentially kind of told you about this agency yeah, um, that he wanted you to go and work for mm-hmm. um, when you, you know, left the internship or something like that. Yeah. Tell us about what you learned from taking the job at the agency. So what happened was I had a good corporate job. I was making over 50,000, which was his mandate graduating from college. And I quit because uh, I, I wasn't being treated the way that I thought I should be being treated. And I went up to Chicago and I my dad came down and I told him, it's OK. I got this internship at this PR agency. It's what I went to school for. It's $11 an hour. And my dad wrote me a check for $1,000 and said, uh, this is the end. <laughs> <laughs> this is the end. This is when you this is you've made. This is a bad decision. This will fail. Here's a thousand dollars. Go tell somebody else. Don't come back here. <laughs> and the quote that he said was, uh, the bank doesn't give a damn about your dreams. Bank doesn't care. Rent is due. And what I learned is that that's absolutely true. <laughs> it's absolutely true. But if you believe enough in your dreams, that was such a motivator to me of, OK, so I can't make eleven dollars an hour. True. <laughs> Got it. Got to get another plan. Um, but that's what he gave me was that before the world knocked me down, my dad knocked me down. Mm-hmm. So I had a chance to get back up. No, that's awesome. And very powerful. Um, now, skipping over to Don, um, there's a story in the book that talks about how he essentially kind of set the example for how to have a work-life balance. Yes. Talk to us a little bit about what he displayed and how it impacted you. Oh, wow. Yeah, he, um, so any CEO, I mean, they are booked, right? From like sunup till sundown past that. Mm -hmm. And I was on his core team of just four people 
And when we would have those meetings to discuss what was coming up, what was important, uh, there was a calendar that we all had that had his kids' sporting events, had his anniversary, had his wife's birthday, had everything that was important to him, church events. And he indoctrinated us that it was our responsibility to hold him accountable to paying attention to that calendar. Mm -hmm. And no matter what came in that room that was important— We were responsible for saying, but he can't do that because he's got to get to this. And so for me, it taught me a couple of things. One, you have to have a team and you have to have a team that understands what's important to you because that team is the only thing keeping you on course. The other thing it taught me was you have to set your direction for your life Mm -hmm. because my job was to come in there and say, you know, uh, Japan is on fire. We got to get to Japan tonight. Mm -hmm. But you couldn't do that Mm -hmm. because he had already set a course of what was acceptable for him. I think the third thing was that he really explained to us why it was important. Mm -hmm. So he would always say, you know, if I haven't had my time with my family, I'm not going to be really pleasant for you to work (laughs) with. Right. And so as somebody who was close to him, I knew what that meant. Right. So I was like, no, we want him to be happy. Let's get him with his family. So, yeah. So talk to me about... um, your experience with, uh, you know, what you're doing now and that transition from getting unstuck for yourself. So for me, Lover at Weeks, my dad started in 1973. And I had a chance to sit down and talk to him about why he started the company. And he said he started it because he didn't have a choice. He didn't get those. You couldn't just apply for these jobs. And so he was really angry with me when I quit corporate because Mm -hmm. he felt like, you know, we didn't get these chances. Now you have these chances and you're turning your nose up at them. And the way I saw it was I had been paid to keep the legacy of these business people alive who were people like Ray Kroc. I know everything you could ever ask about Ray Kroc or Ronald McDonald. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was equally important that people should know that about people like my dad and other people of color. Mm -hmm. And so for me, taking Leverett Weeks was... Um, I couldn't do it under anybody else's name because Mm -hmm. it's my parents' names. It's their their business. And so it was very personal for me to make sure that the services that I was providing were going to help the people who were looking to me. Mm -hmm. So the biggest struggle for me was just making that pivot from this like old company. My dad's an attorney and did real estate and all of the deals he did were like construction. And for me then pivoting to branding and coaching, I remember one of my first clients was Lyft and I was explaining it to my dad. I'm like, you know, you use the app and then people come and pick you up. My dad was like, that's illegal. (laughs) Don't get in the car. And I'm like, no, dad, it's a real company. You know, they want me to help like with people like you so you can understand how to use their services. And he had a really great quote, which was, I don't understand what you do, but it seems to be a valuable. So keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And for a dad that never says like good at anything, that was like, OK, keep going with this business thing. Now, how have you been able to navigate and manage um, pursuing? And I, I, we kind of talked about this earlier, like that corporate and success in family, you know, that inside out. How can you do that and maintain your sanity? Yeah. The best lesson I got about this was um, I was working with our women in Asia, Pacific, Middle East, and Africa. And we were leading a session about work-life balance and nobody showed up. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, what's going on? So I went to go talk to the women. They're like, 
That's an American thing, this work-life balance. Mm -hmm. You can have harmony. Call it harmony. Mm -hmm. And I really internalized that. So the biggest shift for me was that when I was in corporate, my schedule was dictated by the highest ranking executive that I was working for. Point blank, period. Mm -hmm. He has an appointment. Guess what? You have an appointment. Doesn't matter what you thought was important to you that day. The biggest shift for me now is that I get to decide that. Mm -hmm. So my son, if he has a day where he needs his mom, you know, for me, it was realizing what is it that only I can do? Mm -hmm. And I spent about a year of my life just asking myself that question. And every time it came back to being a mom. Mm -hmm. And so finding that space to work with other moms who also would understand that flexibility gave me the permission to say, here's why I need to shift today. Right. Now, in the book, you talk about um, TRIBE, which is an acronym. And I want to talk about two of um, the letters, um, which is TIME and BELIEF. Mm. Um, Now, the power of TIME. You have an entire section dedicated to it. Why is time so important? Time is the resource you will never get back, mm-hmm. period. There's no way to get it back. And my inspiration for writing the book was actually uh, one of my moms here at Howard was dying from terminal cancer. And I called her one day and I'm like, I, I'm not going to write this book. This, I'm not going to do this. And she said, what do you think happens at the end? You die. You want to write a book before you die or not? Mm-hmm. And it was like, knock, knock, puttin' head. Yeah, obviously. Okay. So for me, she really was the one who brought time mm-hmm. um, into perspective. Right. Because I lost her. And when I reflect on how I spent that time, it's time I'll never get back. And I think in the book, you talk about, I, I feel like it's a similar um, situation that you share. Now, if we jump over to belief, mm-hmm. what is it that you want people to know and understand when it comes to belief? And I, I feel like this is like the perfect tie-in to um, what Stephanie mentioned at the end of her uh, end of her segment. Yeah, for me, when I was in corporate, I never wore any religious anything. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't really pray before anything, but Don, my boss, did. Every country we were in, he stopped and prayed. But I felt like I'm like the underling, so I'm supposed to be neutral. Mm -hmm. I have no religion. And when I was writing the book, when I went to 3M, I met Cindy Kent, who was an engineer and then went on to get her master's in marketing and divinity. And she was like a, um, a lighthouse in the storm for people because she embraced her religion. Mm-hmm. And she was okay with being somebody who believed in a higher power. And for me, I started to realize that it was a lack of confidence that I had, that it was okay to have my own opinion when I was responsible for listening to others. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I hope people get out of having that in there is that it's very dangerous if you ever find yourself in a situation where you're putting other people's beliefs ahead of your own, Mm -hmm. right? Because Mm -hmm. you're the only you Mm -hmm. in this world. Mm -hmm. So what you believe is important. Now, how you communicate that, how that shows up is up to you. But not trading that in is what I want somebody to get out of that. Powerful. Thank you. <laughs> I know. Seriously, I think that a lot of times we're always trying to, you know, make sure we're playing it safe. Mm-hmm. Right. We don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers over here. And I mean, I, I can say like an AARP, you know, you can't have certain things that you 
discuss. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't talk about politics. You can't Mm -hmm. talk about religion. It's like once you get to a certain level. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, you know, knowing how to navigate and and owning, Mm -hmm. yo, this is me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Now, right now you have your firm where Mm -hmm. you help people and you have your coaching career that's Mm -hmm. going phenomenal. Mm -hmm. What would you say seems to be a consistent area of difficulty for women? Ooh, for women or for women of color? Uh, Let's do both. Okay. A consistent area, I will say, for women overall is a lack of mentors. Mm -hmm. We as women don't mentor other women. Um, And that is something that I think is systemic of the fact that the women who are in senior positions didn't have a mentor. Therefore, I don't see the value in giving somebody else the roadmap nobody ever gave me. Mm -hmm. When you look at women of color, I believe it's 100 percent burnout and that women of color very often tasked to do more with less are asked to lead with less experience without less with less support uh and frankly we already know less pay across the board mm-hmm. and so that lack of resources but increased expectation mm-hmm. leads to a gap that is just very challenging for anybody to be successful in navigating without going back to having those mentors right and having somebody who's going to help you navigate that mm-hmm. and then what about the African-American women? I would say specifically for African-American women. Oh, man. We just messed up, huh? Well, no, I think for (laughs) us, so much of it is finding the confidence to have your cultural identity at work. So I know for me, um, I went through having long permed hair. My hair was blonde, then it was black, then it was red. And I remember vividly being approached in the bathroom by some colleagues who said, we put some money together for your cancer fund. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And it's funny now, like it's deja vu now, because I remember at the time, I'm not even lying to you, Angel. I remember at the time telling them, I'm going to write a book. And because I like you, this won't be in it. Because it just to me was so incredibly hurtful. But why did they think you had had cut my hair off? And they they assumed, right? I'm making an assumption that because you've cut your hair, that must mean that you have cancer. You must be dying. Yeah, girl. Did you take the money at least? No, <laughs> that, that's that's the other way they get black women in America. Right. They'll be like, you know, Mind she took you. some charity money. Right. She ain't even got cancer. No, it was amazing to me. Yeah. But they thought they were being very helpful. And I asked them, you know, how is that helpful that you've gone around to the people I work with to tell them something that if it was true, wouldn't I have told you? Right. And they're like, oh, yeah, I guess I didn't think about that. But it was very at the time devastating devastating just to think that people have even been having that conversation i mean and they raise a significant <laughs> amount of money <laughs> how much money they raise i'm not even gonna say why because i know low-key it happened like, more legit. than once and if i say the amount then then they'll know which which people i'm talking about yeah i know i've cut my hair off a couple times I know, I know, I know. It's insane. But these are the stories that happened. This is why I had to write a book because it was like, this is insane. <laughs> insane. Like this is this is legit. This legit. is real life. This is legit. Yep. Okay. Super. I know. I know, girl. All right. So as a trained career coach, what are some of the areas that you evaluate when you're deciding to take on new clients? Ooh. The number one area that I evaluate is the organization that they're in. 
And I typically work with companies that are in a transition. So there's a leader that is exiting. And so there's an opportunity for this person to break out of the situation they've been put in. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when I'm working with clients that are at that kind of mid to senior level, particularly women of color, um, it is unconscious or conscious bias mm-hmm. that's holding them back. And so if they don't have that change in leadership, then they probably should change organizations. And so I really like working with organizations that are in the place that they want to set a public diversity goal. They want to bring visibility to the people that work there mm-hmm. and they're willing to put their dollars behind it by hiring a coach for that woman mm-hmm. and saying, I see value in you, but I also see that you need more support. Right. No, that's that's essential mm-hmm. um now do you also recommend like mentors for mm-hmm. some of these women okay yeah so one of the reasons i do these book signings is because i have a network of more senior executives mm-hmm. that will tell you i would love to mentor somebody i don't necessarily have the time i don't know these women mm-hmm. and so that's one of the great things when everybody comes together and they get a chance to hear oh you're where i was 15 years ago let me tell you something or let me warn you about this person mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be a long extended engagement just that opportunity to connect so that those two women know there's somebody i can call Mm-hmm. makes all the difference in their ability to be successful long-term. Right. Just that they're not alone. Yeah. Now, this has been amazing. And Meredith's book is Getting Unstuck, A Guide to Moving Your Career Forward. Um, ladies, we have come to the time where the train is coming. <laughs> <laughs> that's what the loud noise is. Um, but... Uh, we're going to get ready for our moments from the valley. So while you all take your time and think about what your moment's going to be, um, we are going to play a little bit of inspirational music. So stay with us. Oh, me. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, ladies. Well, we've come to the point in the show where we share our moments from the valley. This is when you share a valley moment that you didn't think you would overcome and how you actually overcame the situation. Now, I'm going to give you a little time um, to gather your thoughts. Okay, you gathered them. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Gathered. All right, good. (laughs) All right, so go ahead, Stephanie. We'll start with you. So in 2012, um, I got a call at work. Um, it was a normal day. I was on the Hill, very busy, right after uh, Obama had won a second term. And it was from my brother. And my family never called me at work. Um, I had him pretty well trained that, you know, I had to put in my 80 hours and they couldn't call me. So I knew it was, you know, important. And uh, he said, Dad had a heart attack. And so he's like, where, you know, mom's been trying to call you. Where's your phone? Well, I was in such a hurry that morning. I left my cell phone and my personal phone in the car. So I went back outside to my car, called my mom, and they were at the emergency room. And she said, I said, mom, I understand they had a heart attack. And he, she said, no, we had a cardiac arrest. And we're at the emergency room. Mm. And, you know, my heart just kind of sank at that point. So I kind of went back inside. I went to my HR director. And she had lost her father to a heart attack like a month before. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, when are you going home? And, you know, I really hadn't gotten that far. I'm thinking, I don't even know what this means. I know it doesn't sound good. Heart attack, people know what a heart attack is. Cardiac arrest is... Not not good. So um, I gathered myself up. She said, so she got online and started looking for flights for me and to go to Florida. And um, I went home and I called some friends and family members to tell them what was going on. I made arrangements to fly home the mm-hmm. next day. And when I got to the hospital, um, they my father was in a medically induced coma. And um, I got to the hospital in a medically induced coma. I went to my mom to find out what was going on. And basically they said, we have 48 hours to wait and see if he wakes up. And so um, after a very long ordeal in the hospital, he did come to. uh, He was in the hospital for about a month. uh, Then an extended period in rehab and so forth. Fast forward, it's 2019. My father's alive and well, just so Amen. you all know. <laughs> but, which is a miracle in and of itself because the doctors told us, you know, it was, it was, it was about as serious as it could get because he had flatlined a number of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, when he, once he was back home, um, mm-hmm. that was the year. Remember I told you 2013 is when I... Mm-hmm. Um, when the government shut down, um, I started thinking, you know what, what are my priorities? And one of them was I need a job or a career that is going to allow me more flexibility because my parents are getting older. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in a situation like most people my age where you have to start thinking about the other people in your life. Mm-hmm. And so you know, that was a really um, serious time. For me, um, but it was definitely a very crystallizing moment for me that I needed to think about a work uh, work scenario that was going to allow me the flexibility I needed to be where I needed to be. And that was definitely a very strong 
push for me to go work for myself because at my level, you get offered other jobs that want you to work just as hard. You get more money for them, but you get offered the opportunity to spend more of your time at work Mm -hmm. or just as much time at work. And so, you know, that was, but that was uh, really, you know, in terms of thinking about taking something that was a very hard time in my life, a very unexpected situation and deciding, okay, my priorities are going to be the people that I love Mm -hmm. first, and then we'll build a business situation around it. And it's worked out very well for me over the last going on six years because actually longer than that now, because I tend to attract people who have the same philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, my company is is very um, versatile in that way. Right. No, that's so true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, having that reality check and knowing like, okay, you know what, I need to reevaluate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. some things. I'll tell you something else. And just on a personal level is my faith grew a ton after that. When you see somebody come out of a cardiac arrest, you start to believe at a whole different level. Yeah. And, and when you know that the, the, the doctor's prognosis is very grim, um, you know, it, it really kind of tests you. Yeah. yeah. No, thank you so much for sharing that. Sure. All right, Meredith. So my story actually is like 2013, too. So mm-hmm. there must have been something with that year. Yeah. Or maybe it was 2015. My bad, 2015. But um, <clears throat> uh, I had hyperemesis gravidium when I was pregnant. It was the same thing Kate Middleton uh, had. But I did not have the health care, nor did anybody diagnose me. So I was still pushing myself to work, even though going into my second trimester, I'd lost about 65 pounds. And the last couple of times I'd gone into the doctor, they couldn't even find like a vein. But I was like, I got to go to work. So I'd gotten on a flight and I was down in Texas for this conference. And I was throwing up 15 to about 20 times a day. So I was in this panel and I got up and I'm like embarrassed to disrupt anything but I'm like it's gonna be worse if I throw up on people right so like I'm gonna go I went to the restroom and I collapsed and I hit my head on the toilet and I remember waking up and just thinking I'm not being a great mom right now and this child is depending on me to make better decisions and so luckily somebody helped me and I went up to my room and I called my mom first and I said, I just want to know how I how I can be stronger. And I'll never forget my mom said, maybe it's time to give up. Maybe it's time to talk to the doctors. Maybe this isn't about you pushing through something. But maybe this is about being strong enough to know you, this is bigger than you. This is something really serious. And so the next call I had to make, which was the most terrifying, was my boss. And I just had to say, you know, I'm down here in Texas. I'm not even going to be able to finish the assignment. I can't physically get myself up off of the floor. And she said, no, I I understand. We'll get you a a medevac. We're going to get you home. You should have never gone down there. And I couldn't get out. And so the next morning I was in the airport and I was trying to drink like chocolate milk and I couldn't even keep that down. And that whole flight I remember three things that helped me. So if somebody is going through something like this, I listened only to the most positive music. And I had a song. It was this voice to men from Prince of Egypt. Uh, I will get there. I will get through this dark. 
because I had to honor the fact that this is as bad as it's going to get for me. It's not going to get worse. I'm going to stop the bleeding here, but this is really bad. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that I did was there was a flight attendant that I said, would you just come and pray with me? Just for a second. Mm -hmm. I don't know this woman, but I just knew that I didn't even have the energy to pray for myself in that moment. And I'm on a plane. That's like terrifying as it is. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing was uh, when I got there, I remember when we went into the doctor's office and they couldn't find uh, my son Leo's heartbeat. I remember that um, I told my mom, thank you for just being there and for being the person to put the cold water on my face to say, you can't keep, keep doing this. Mm -hmm. So I think what I learned going through all of that, and he was born uh, healthy. He spent some time in the ICU, but we made it through. And now he's like my little reminder. I mean, for one, we're identical. We look exactly the same. Uh, But every time I look at him, I'm just reminded of how God really put me through a fire. Mm -hmm. But it was because this little guy was just worth it. And I had to make that decision as a mom that it was going to be worth making some different changes in my life and different choices. So that's my valley. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for sharing, both of you. I greatly appreciate it. Um, And I know that somebody listening will feel empowered and... um, be able to make it through whatever situation that they're currently enduring. So I, I appreciate you sharing um, your testimony with us today. Thank you. Absolutely. So before we close out, would you like to share some social media so people know how to get in contact with you? Sure. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all, all Stephanie Mickle, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E-M-I-C-K-L-E. You can also um, follow my company at MickelPublicAffairs.com. And that's those are probably the best ways to get a hold of me. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. And I am on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. It's Meredith M. Crosby. And my company is Leverett Weeks, L-E-V-E-R-E-T-T-E-W-E-E-K-E-S. It's super long, but it's worth it. Mm-hmm. And my book, Getting Unstuck, is available on Amazon and everywhere you can get it. And fun fact, when you get it on gettingunstuckguide.com, a portion of the proceeds go to Jeremiah Program, which is an organization, a national organization that helps single moms by providing housing, early childhood education. So it was important to me to have that connection because oftentimes people are stuck and honestly don't have the resources to get out. Awesome. Well, thank you both for being our guest today. I greatly appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. you. All right. So that is our show for today. Please be sure to check out past broadcasts on our website, WBBTalk.com, and pick up your copy of the Washington Informer to see the woman behind the business spotlight section. And of course, follow us on social media at WBBTalk. A special thank you to our show producer, Kyle Murdoch, and our program director, Max Myrick. Until next time, stay blessed.